Gossip at the Corpse Cart contains graphic and explicit content that may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to our first episode of our new little mini-sode spinoff show. Woo! Woo! Yes. This show is called Gossip at the Corpse Cart. <laughs> we out here gossiping corpse side. And if you don't know, now you know. Current events. <laughs> Basically picture that scene from Monty Python and the Holy Grail where they're calling. Bring out you dead. <laughs> I'm, not I'm not dead, dead yet. yet. <laughs> I feel happy. I think, I think I'll, I'll go, go for a walk. walk. <laughs> We're the cackling ladies just like sorting through rotting fruit in the alleyway covered in mud. Yeah. Checking their pockets, the taking yeah. their yeah. boots. Yep. Yep. But it's still super respectful, you guys. It's like dumpster diving, but with bodies. 100%. It's medieval dumpster diving. Basically, what we're the goal of this extra episode is. Um, to kind of get a chance to talk about more recent true crime cases that are in the news, because mm-hmm. for our regular mm-hmm. episodes, especially fan picks, that shit is scheduled out like six to nine months in advance. So we yeah. don't often get a chance to talk about all those fascinating true crime stories no. uh, that are in the news at that moment, uh, you know, that you tag us in and everything and that we want to talk about. We don't get a chance to do that that much on our regular episodes. So we created. By the time we're spilling that tea, it's cold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so here so we are. So we're here to spill that hot tea. <laughs> Can you tell I'm drinking tea? I'm currently drinking tea. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! I'm drinking. Shall a we Russian introduce ourselves? Digger. No, I hate that. We're not doing it. People know who the <laughs> fuck we are. Moving on. <laughs> okay, never mind. Slight, slightly different layout for these episodes for gossip at the corpse cart, uh, but we are still going to start with Lucy. So. Uh, I don't know what you got for us. Take it away, bitch. Yeah, take it away. All right. Well, I thought that I would cover something that has been uh, pretty persistent on the old news feed in the last few weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, You may recall, once I get going. So, less than a month ago, Dave and Sylvia Dungan, Dungeon? We're going to go with Dungeon, of... (laughs) of Salinas, California, decided to install a video surveillance camera on their front door. On January 8th, 2019, around 5 a.m., the homeowners who were out of town at the time noticed quite a few alerts from said surveillance camera. Oh, God. Yes. They checked the footage and observed a man lurking outside their front door and enthusiastically licking their doorbell. (gasps) Yes, the doorbell licker. For approximately three hours. What? Wait. Wait. (laughs) He was was licking it for three hours? No, he was not licking it for the whole three hours. I'll I'll break it down a little bit for you. There's a timeline. There is a timeline. Oh, my God. God, I have seen this video, and if you have not seen this video, 
Oh. It's sensual. It's not the special. whole video. Oh. Get you a man who licks you like this guy licks the doorbell. Ring my bell, honey. <laughs> Just gonna say it. Get you a man. Yes. Or okay. a woman, or neither, or both. Lucy, <laughs> do you remember when you visited me in college and one of my <laughs> male roommates took a no. liking to you? Yes. Now he runs a carpet factory. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, but, but anyway, yes, he was cute, but he took a liking to you, and he just, like, stood next to you, like, with his arm against the wall, and the wall had <laughs> these, like, little divots that you were supposed to, like, nail nails into because the wall itself was cement, and so you couldn't nail into most of it, so they had these little like circular pre-drilled divots. holes. Yeah, there were holes in the wall, but yeah. they were like supposed to be there. Yes, and he was just—I just came out and I saw my roommate trying to flirt with Lucy with his like arm leaned up against the wall, all sensual, and he was just like <laughs> flicking his thumb wildly into oh, this little just, like, divot, fingering this <laughs> divot in the wall. No, that's not how that worked. I don't know it. what he was doing, but I was twirling. I Okay, so here's what it was. The, oh, Lord. The inside of those bricks that that wall was made out of were really, like, smooth. It wasn't regular, like, brick. Mm. So I was just twirling my index finger around the inside of one of the holes. I was distracted. It felt good on my finger, whatever. And, uh, yeah, he was just watching me. I remember it the opposite. Maybe you both were fingering and staring at each other. Either way, I didn't know that's what he was doing. Gross, and I don't like it. <laughs> anyway, that's what this reminded Either me way, of. Either way, dodged a bullet. <laughs> <laughs> he was cute, whatever. Whatever. Okay. So the man also, back to the doorbell liquor. The man also appeared to urinate and steal an extension cord that was connected to Christmas lights from the front yard, which he later dropped. They recovered the extension cord. Oh, thank you. No God. harm, no foul. I was foul. just going to ask. Let it <laughs> be noted. This is a victimless crime. Let it, well, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I mean, the doorbell. I don't know. Let it be noted that he is making eye contact with the security camera for much of his licking. <laughs> yes. So he's, like, fully yes. aware that it's there. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, as aware as a person could be who's enthusiastically mm. tonguing oh, a doorbell. Licking a doorbell. Oh, uh, like, really right, going for it, you guys. Mm-hmm. Here's a quote. I thought, boy, there's a lot of traffic, Sylvia <laughs> said to K-I-O-N-T-V. I go, five in the morning? My son doesn't get home till 6 a.m. Well, who the heck is this? <laughs> Why does oh your God, son this get home at 6 a.m.? He works the He's night shift. He's a shift, shift worker. Okay. He's working right. overnight. Right. In addition to him. the dude going to town on the doorbell panel... The video begins at about 2 a.m. with the man approaching the doorway and staring at the camera, apparently sitting down to rest for like 20 minutes at one point, taking a little nap. Yeah, you gotta get ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Muttering some incoherent words, periodically staring straight at the camera again, and even pushing something that kind of looks like a clump of dried grass onto Whoop. the lens. Oh. Like kind of fucking with the lens. Oh. Trying to hide it or something? Trying to hide himself? Oh. No, he like says something and then like just shows this clump of whatever it is and then like smushes it up like that oh. on the on My the Lord. lens. Okay. 
There's mm-hmm. no explanation for this. So, mm-hmm. like I said, There's he, no he isn't licking for three straight hours. God bless him. He's doing a, <laughs> a bunch of weird stuff in addition to the licking. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. And actually, as long Story as we're clearing up. Life. What? Story of my life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and as long as we're clearing up the facts, he isn't licking the doorbell. He's licking the intercom's buzzer button. And if right. you go to he found the drive. The I mean, that's if you go to the he knows where it is. They're two you can't separate even find things. the goddamn doorbell. Okay, let's see it. Let's there see it. is a photo on the drive of the intercom buzzer button that he was licking that white button, and this doorbell intercom thing is one unit. He was not licking that. Got it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another quote from Sylvia. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh boy, that is just weird. Yep. <laughs> oh boy. Nailed it, Sylvia. (laughs) 67-year-old David Dungeon says, this guy's getting some sick jollies off of something. (laughs) (laughs) Where is this taking place again? California. California. I love it. It sounds so much like my (laughs) mother-in-law. I cannot help it. Some sick jollies. Oh, boy, that's weird. (laughs) (laughs) The couple's children were home and were sleeping inside the house, and somehow they did not wake up to the doorbell ringing repeatedly, or rather the intercom buzzer buzzing repeatedly. Oh, oh my God. If anyone had tried to enter the room... And say, exchange a tooth for some change. Those kids would have been up like a bolt of lightning. (laughs) Okay, I was really confused until I remembered the tooth fairy is a thing. No, Kenyon's just fucking weird. I did not know what you were fucking talking about. (laughs) She's just twisted. Fucking perv. (laughs) The fuck? All right. We were pleasantly surprised that the image was so clear, said Miguel Cabrera of the Salinas Police Department. It didn't take us long to identify the individual. Mm. Police identified 33-year-old Robert Daniel Arroyo as the liquor. He Mm. is facing charges, (laughs) but was not arrested because his crimes were merely misdemeanors, and those misdemeanors were petty theft and prowling. The cops Could had, it even be considered theft if you just immediately drop it and it doesn't actually really leave the property? It did leave the property. He just didn't oh, okay. have it on his person when they tracked him down and they kind of like Got found it. it in the neighbor's yard or like down the street or something. Yeah, mm. Petty moving of an extension cord. <laughs> if it was removed from the property. Yeah. 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 And extension it's cords that. are not cheap, y'all. No, no they're not. They are a commodity. Yeah. I need many. I have several. Yeah. Um, the cops had been aware of Arroyo for a while from previous contacts, from public um, intox and, like, things like that. They mm. say that he's homeless and currently on probation. Okay. Um, Sylvia says, you kind of laugh about it afterwards because technically he didn't harm anybody. He didn't break anything. Okay. Mm, Sylvia's her. got a good attitude. I love Sylvia. Since returning home, the couple has thoroughly cleaned their intercom doorbell and walkway. The husband noted that they used bleach. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) For those interested, it was a Ring brand video doorbell, which is motion activated. And I believe you can turn it on remotely to check on your door area whenever you want to from the app. And I want to get one of those bad boys. As I've talked about in a previous episode where I shared with our listeners that my house was broken into, I got a video surveillance system for 
the outside of my house, and I fucking love it. <laughs> Everybody yeah. should have one. I love it. I'm my- a package thief, so I just want to like. Yeah nonchalantly and discreetly install one in the hallway of my building, even though that's totally not allowed. Well, well my paranoia has my fucking gone. Ipsy makeup subscription bag and then returning it opened. That's what? so fucked up. Yeah. Ugh. Like a week ago, my upstairs neighbor was like, Hey, I saw a package for you sitting on top of the mailbox. Like an hour ago, you should go grab it because we all know that something fishy is going on in our building. I went to go get it. It's gone. Mm. And he was, my neighbor was pissed. Mm. He was not happy. And I'm, uh, despite what people think of me, I'm actually really not a confrontational person. Like, even if someone's fucking laundry has been sitting in the dryer for over an hour, I, like, won't take it out. So I was going to write a very nice note, but then I got nervous, and he was like, I got this. And he wrote this really angry note, and it stirred up quite the scuttlebutt in our (laughs) building. But within, like, I kid you not, within, like, two hours, the package was put back on top of the mailbox with the note taped to it opened. Jeez. Yep. So someone returned it. I have my theories on who it is, but Hmm. without that forensic evidence, Mm. you know. I'm going to send it into a lab to be fingerprinted, (laughs) but it's in, like, bubble wrap, so it's not going to get a good fingerprint. Also, cops don't give a fuck about package thieves. They really don't. Sorry. Even though it is a federal offense to open someone else's fucking mail. Mm. Yeah, but, like, they have a lot of other federal offenses to do. I know, and it's not like I went to the police. I just want to put in the fucking camera because I want to see who done it. Put it it on Mm -hmm. your Mm -hmm. mailbox. It is totally illegal to film people without their knowledge, but I feel like if yeah. it's on your own mailbox. And like previous offenses, like my fucking mail being stolen, it's self-defense. I don't think a package thief is going to take you to small claims court over being probably filmed. Not. So probably not. You're probably well, okay. Well, it's obviously not illegal to be filmed without your consent if there are such things as these surveillance cameras. Yes, but I live, that's your own private residence. I live in a shared residence with other people in a building, so I can't put cameras in shared spaces. Yeah, okay. If it were a condo and it were like just on my door, I don't. I don't even think then you could do that. I don't it know. Have to be only the interior of your building. It can't be the communal area. I don't know. That's probably just also a state it. law too, so it probably varies. Without consent from the other residents, I can't do it. Okay, just a little bit more. Uh, for those, oh wait, I already said that. Yeah, the Ring Ring brand video doorbell. I have an Arlo, which I really like. Arlo, okay. Arlo. Use promo code GALS15. Just kidding, not really. Kidding. Oh, I was going to say, we do not have a promo code for them. <laughs> do not try that. They are not a sponsor. Lucy is the worst. <laughs> I like it. So there were some quality internet comments obviously of course there were many of which we were tagged in across all social media yes. platforms mm-hmm. across the last I've month i've seen it's this video amazing. countless times i almost had to block it from my news feed because i was tagged in it <laughs> so many times mm-hmm. so here are some of the good comments um anyone have his number asking for a friend and that friend is me <laughs> Hey, Dude la- should start doing porn. Hey, ladies, he's single. He tongued that button for three straight hours. I call that talent. Mm-hmm. Yep. In- inaccurate, but all right. I get the feeling. Three hours and he still didn't make anyone come. <laughs> oh, my God. I also like, feel bad. The door. Don't know his name, but his tongue rings a bell. <laughs> oh, my God. 
Theft? What did he take? The doorbell's virginity? <laughs> virginity is not real. Virginity is a social construct. <laughs> Maybe he should have tried around back? <laughs> oh. Oh. So here are some theories from me. All of them are weak, except for the last one. Um, okay, so it could be object sexuality mm-hmm. or objectophilia, and this is um, afflicts individuals or individuals with this preference may have strong feelings of attraction, love, and commitment to certain items or structures of their fixation. Some believe in animism and sense reciprocation based on the belief that objects have souls, intelligence, and feelings and are able to communicate. But honestly, he didn't really seem to be romantically attracted to the doorbell regardless of his evident stamina. We, we he can't wasn't like, know for sure. And also... I like my Skechers, but I love my Prada backpack. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm so whelmed by that comment. <laughs> Are you European? Um, you can't just ask someone why they're white. Okay. <laughs> um, another theory, he may have had some kind of, like, mineral deficiency, like how deer, you could set out, like, a salt lick for deer. I don't oh, yeah. think that that is the issue. And also this doorbell slash intercom panel appears to be plastic with like maybe some metal pieces. So I don't think that theory holds any water either. No. Um, he was possibly on drugs, but I can't really imagine how fucked up on whatever you're taking that you'd mm-hmm. have to be to go at it with a doorbell for that long or just like be kind of creepy in someone's doorway. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, I was yeah. trying to think of what drugs could prompt that behavior, and I don't it, I don't know. I don't know. Stay tuned for my next drunk dive is all I have to say. Oh, my God, oh amazing. God. Are you going to take math on air? The, <laughs> the, oh, please don't. Yeah. I'm do you take good. meth or do you smoke meth or do you think, snort well, meth? Well, it can come in a multitude of forms, so kind of all of the above. I have no idea. I think the fact that I just said take meth kind of... <laughs> Better than <laughs> do Puts the spotlight on the fact that I've never done drugs. that before. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the last theory, he is possibly mentally ill, which makes the most sense given the rest of the circumstances. And I don't want to presume any illness. I'm not a doctor and that would not be appropriate. Regardless, I hope that he gets the help that he needs. And if he truly is attracted to intercom buzzers, more power to him. But seriously, get your own. Yeah. And stop like stalking the neighborhood for a hot little buzzer. Do whatever you want, as long as it's your own and not somebody else's property. Right. Honestly, for me, the creepiest part is that somebody would have been standing on my front porch for three hours. Right. Like, I don't really give a... F- the fact that you're licking my doorbell actually makes me less terrified. If he were just standing there, I'd be like, holy shit. If he was licking my doorbell, I'd be like... You're just like a here. weirdo. I'm just going to play this out and yeah. see what happens. It definitely makes me want a video camera for yeah. my door. Yeah. yeah. Get yep. one. Yep. Yep. Working All on right. it. All right. That's well, the, there I am. That's the fucking doorbell fucking liquor, amazing. and I love that story <laughs> and amazing. Yep. Um, Thank you for the update. I've been wondering what was going on with him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, they got him. I purposely. Oh, there's a, there, sorry. There's a picture of his mugshot on the drive as well. Yes. He has great eyebrows. I will give him that. Yeah. Yeah, he just looks super disoriented and fucked up. So I feel sorry for him. 
There's definitely some mental illness and or drugs happening because his mm-hmm. eyes Something's are like happening. completely vacant but also hyper focused. If that makes any sense, like just that drug, yeah. like stunned deer in the headlights mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Yeah. So good luck to you, Mr. Arroyo. Yes. All right. Well, now a quick word from our sponsor. Well, I just tasted the most incredible cupcakes. In fact, I came home to this package on my front doorstep, didn't realize we had just booked them as an advertiser, opened it, saw that there were cupcakes, no questions asked, didn't even worry if they had anthrax in them, just started eating before I was like, hey, Kenyon, uh, are these from an advertiser? And she was like, yes. And I was like, great. And then I devoured both trays of these amazing cupcakes. They are so cute. These baked by Melissa cupcakes are absolutely adorable. They're these little bite-sized cupcakes in an array of flavors that were super unique and exciting. There were like peanut butter and jelly ones that I am obsessed with. These little red velvet cupcakes with cream cheese frosting. These little like strawberry cupcakes. They were unbelievable and they are so cute. They're just these little itty bitty babies that you can feel kind of guilt free about eating because they're so small unless you're like me and you don't stop until you're like ill. It was an unbelievable experience. Baked by Melissa's bite-sized cupcakes ship perfectly and will change how you think about Valentine's Day gifts, which is right around the corner, or just gifting in general forever. They are handcrafted and like I said, bite-sized. Baked by Melissa treats are adorable and delicious. They're perfectly bite-sized so you can have one in every flavor and you will want to. You won't be able to stop once you pop. They have the most amazing unique flavors and seasonal gift boxes. Uh, Again, one of the ones that I really loved was the peanut butter and jelly one. It literally tasted like a tiny, sweet peanut butter and jelly bite-sized treat. It was moist. It was rich. It was the perfect size to just literally pop in your mouth and enjoy. No mess. It's incredible. This is so easy to gift to somebody else, or to yourself. Baked by Melissa offers one and two day shipping nationwide. But remember, the last day for standard shipping for Valentine's Day is February 12th by 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So if you want to send these as a Valentine's gift to anyone, including you, make sure you get that delivery in by February 12th at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So for this Valentine's Day, send yourself or your loved ones the perfect gift with Baked by Melissa. Go to bakedbymelissa.com for slash gals g-a-l-s today sign up use our promo code gals to get 15 percent off of your next order this is a special offer exclusively for our podcast listeners so make sure you take advantage that's 15 percent off at bakedbymelissa.com forward slash gals using promo code gals treat yo sweets all right so uh my case is dark, but it does have a somewhat happy ending. Um, it has an ending. Yes. It's, we're happy that you've ended it. Haven't started it, <laughs> but thanks. Because they're depressing as fuck. <laughs> well, this case has been taking the news by storm, and of course, Hell yeah. I am talking about the Jamie Kloss case. Oh, for real. Yes. This is so bizarro. Yes. So, Jamie is 13 years old and a middle school student uh, from Barron, Wisconsin. Wisconsin. 
Isn't all of Wisconsin barren? <laughs> Sister city of fertile Iowa. <laughs> that was the saddest. Okay. Um, she <laughs> enjoys dance and runs track, presumably not just to obtain the sweatshirt and then pretended to have her period every practice like Lucy and me in well, middle school. she's not yeah. doing it right. <laughs> Or she is actually doing it. <laughs> She's actually running track unlike what we did, but whatever. I think I Work jumped. smarter, not harder, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I think I jumped, like, one hurdle in my three-year track career. <laughs> so I'm pretty sad. sure we got it on video because it only happened once. <laughs> <laughs> I was sick for every meet. Uh, oh, my God. Amazing. Okay. So in the early hours of October 15th, 2018, a 911 call comes in from a cell phone that they're uh, able to trace to the home of James and Denise Kloss. The call, okay. the call came in at approximately 12.53 a.m., and Barron County Sheriff's deputies arrived at the home roughly seven minutes later. So I got there pretty darn fast. It was immediately apparent that there had been a break-in through the front door, which had been shot in with a shotgun. And Ugh. sheriff's deputies found 56-year-old James Kloss dead by the front door. And then they found his wife, Denise, who's 46, uh, murdered in the bathtub. Duh. Which, like, really hits close to home for me. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, because I takes a lot of baths. I Keep take, up. Yeah, I take a bath every day. Um, oh, okay. Self care. So both were dead from gunshot wounds, and several 12 gauge shotgun shells were found near the front door and near both of the victims. Neighbors reported hearing the gunshots, but they dismissed them at the time because hunting was common in the area. Oh, yeah. I don't know. We're in rural Wisconsin. What yeah. else is mm, I don't know anyone that hunts at 1 a.m. Um, when I was in northern Minnesota for New Year's, we drank beer and shot guns on this person's property until, like, 3 in the morning. Mm. And yeah. we could hear other people doing it. It's not that crazy. Depends on what you're hunting, too. On what time of it's year It's not it even necessarily that people are hunting. People will just, like, we just set up beer cans and shot them. Yeah, right. but if you were legitimately hunting... Right. You could be I'm hunting saying, at one in the morning. I'm just saying at in Wisconsin in the during hunting season on vast private land in the middle of the night, it's not that crazy. Mm. It's a Midwestern thing. Okay. Also, you were out there on New Year's Eve, so it's a little bit different. Yeah, but I still argue that that's not that weird. Than, yeah, than mm. what most of these folks do in this town, like. Okay. It was not out of the ordinary for anyone to do it at any time, really. It do it doesn't really matter because <clears throat> the cops were able to get there so quickly anyway. So the right. fact that the neighbors didn't report it, it almost makes no difference because there was a 911 call from inside the home. And <clears throat> that was later traced to Denise's cell phone, so t to the mom's cell phone. So um, mm -hmm. I don't believe that she was able to say anything on the call. Um, it was just kind of like a muffled, muffled noises and then cut out. Sad. Um, <clears throat> so the cops get there. They see this horrible scene. Two people are dead. But 13-year-old Jamie is nowhere to be found. 
An Amber Alert was immediately issued for the 100-pound, 5-foot-tall teen, but investigators unfortunately had no vehicle information to go along with it. So they, mm-hmm. they just knew she was missing, but they didn't know who had taken her. Now, deputies know that they did see the car that Jamie was taken in that night, and they actually passed right by it as they approached the Kloss's house. Oh, my God. Ick. How frustrating. Yes. And, like, the you know, their sirens were, were on and whatever. Sorry, I've, like, had I've had a lot of vodka. I'm struggling. <laughs> I'm slurring oh right now. Okay. So they, this like. This is not a drunk dive. <laughs> it's not a drunk dive. This is a Kenyan decided to drink dive. And this is another casual Tuesday. A little bit. It is a Tuesday as we yeah. record this. Okay. So anyway, they drove by, their sirens were going, whatever, and then this car had, like, pulled over on the side of the road as they passed, and then that was it. So, um, meanwhile, they found out later Jamie was trapped in the vehicle's trunk at that time. Ugh. Ugh. Poor thing. Like, ugh. So, Barron County Sheriff's Deputy John Fick... Unfortunate name. Later stated that he remembered passing a maroon vehicle that to him appeared to be an older model Ford Taurus, which is like, I'm sorry, if you see a maroon Ford Taurus, pull that shit over because that is already suspicious. (laughs) I'm like, hi. That Um, is Ford Taurus profiling and I am not here for it. I (laughs) am here for it. The facts back me up. So anyway, (laughs) actually in like every episode of forensic files ever, the car that someone is getting like fibers out of is always like a maroon (laughs) carpeted interior car. Oldsmobile. A maroon Mm -hmm. Ford Taurus or Oldsmobile. Yes. So I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I don't care what race or ethnicity or pigmentation the driver is, but a maroon Ford Taurus, pull that shit over. Um, it's worse than a red Mini Cooper, people. Absolutely. Okay. So uh, this was the only car that sheriff's deputies observed coming from that direction. But again, like hindsight is twenty twenty, and they had no reason to pull it over at the time. Right. Within days, thousands of tips about Jamie's possible whereabouts poured in from across the country. The teen was also on the top of the FBI's missing persons list, but still, police didn't have many leads to go off of. So, as far as I know, like, the investigation was happening full throttle, but they really didn't have, like, anything. Much to go Yeah. On. Yeah. Uh, volunteer and law enforcement search parties scoured the area, and a reward of $50,000 for if information leading to the location of Jamie was issued. But kind of nothing really comes from this. 88 days later, on January 10th, 2019, a woman walking her dog in the small town of Gordon, Wisconsin which is mm-hmm. north of Eau Claire, south of Duluth, and v- west of Peniston. Very, very far west of Peniston. <laughs> um, is stunned when 13-year-old Jamie, whom she recognized from news reports about the case, approaches her for help. So she's this woman's just, like, walking oh her dog, God. and then this, this girl that's been missing and been on the news just, like, comes up to her. 
How far away from the town where she was stolen? Seven, from Barron? 70 miles. Oh, okay. So uh, the woman described Jamie as calm, quiet, dazed, and surprised that she'd been recognized because she didn't know that, like, everyone was looking Everyone's for her. Looking, yeah. yeah. Um, and Jamie also knew the name of her abductor. 21-year-old Jake... Yes, girl. Yes. Jake Thomas Patterson. You just sound... That is just like a serial killer's name. (laughs) Well, just because I added the middle name, but yes. Anytime a middle name is included, Mm -hmm. not good. (laughs) So Patterson had no prior connection to or contact with the Kloss family. There was no connection. What the fuck? It's random? He would later tell police that he spotted Jamie boarding the school bus one day in September when he was driving to work, and he, quote, knew that she was the girl he wanted to take. Holy shit. Ew. Take? Ew. Yep. And that he spotted her, like, a month before? Mm Mm-hmm. And had been, pl- oh, oh, I hate this. Mm-hmm. Getting onto a school bus. She's fucking 13. Mm-hmm. It's disgusting. It's horrifying. So after murdering her parents, Patterson abducted Jamie and brought her to his family's cabin, which I've also seen described as a ramshackle house. But, like, I feel for him because my house was described that way after it was sold. And mm-hmm. my house was adorable as fuck. So everyone I fuck believe off. the word was derelict. Dere- shack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dilapidated. Let's make sure we get dilapidated shack. Oh, yeah. It was dilapidated, dilapidated shack. shack. Yes. Thanks. That is my childhood home where I built all my <laughs> memories, and it was totally fine and, like, not great, but clean, orderly. I loved your house. Yeah. Yeah, we all loved your house. Everyone it was go. so small and cozy, and it was so fucking close to the beach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, One you had block. the best house. My house was awesome, so go mm-hmm. fuck yourself, dilapidated shack. Yeah. Okay, anyway, so this was about 70 miles north of Barron, Wisconsin. Jamie, again, was held in captivity for 88 days. Jesus. Which is almost three months. Oh, my God. During this time, at one point, Patterson forced her, well, it sounds like often he forced her to hide under the bed, but at one point, he did so while he hosted a family Christmas party. No. Yep. And she was oh just hiding under the bed. God. Oh my god. I'm so, oh, he makes me ill. Surrounded the bed with storage containers that were weighted down with barbells. Holy so shit. So she was trapped under the bed. She like was able to move them, but it would have like made noise and it would have like you know, ca- caught his attention presumably. Kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And she's terrified. Terrified. Yeah. Listening to directions to survive. And also, I don't know, but she might have been bound in some way under the bed, but I don't know for sure. Mm. Um, 
So, anyway, he surrounded the bed with all these storage containers so she couldn't be seen, and he threatened to kill her if she made any noise or tried to escape, and he also played music while other people were in the home so that they couldn't hear her. Muffle anything, drown anything out. Right. And probably knowing that she was under the bed and he had people over, like, that was a big thrill for him, I would imagine. I would imagine, yeah. Sounds like it. Otherwise, he probably would have put her somewhere else or not hosted a fucking party. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he was, like, very afraid about keeping her hidden. Mm -hmm. He probably, yeah, he had to have gotten his fucking rocks off doing that. Yeah. Why the fuck else would you do that? Get his sick jollies off. Um, Go lick a doorbell, you fucking asshole. (laughs) He didn't own this family property. His his father actually owned it at the time. And then since all of this has come to light, the family has given away the property to the bank, I believe. Like, they just don't want anything to do with it anymore. Can't blame them. Cannot blame them for that. Yeah, Yeah, smart. Um, (laughs) So maybe he wasn't... Maybe he wasn't able to say, like, no, we can't have the family party here. But I tend to agree with you that he could have canceled it somehow. And he chose not to because he, on some level, enjoyed hiding her. Yeah. Um, The relatives and their significant others who attended the holiday get-together are not suspected of having any awareness or involvement in the the kidnapping. Well, that's good. Yeah. So, on the day that she escaped, Patterson had informed Jamie that he'd be away for five or six hours. Don't know why. Yeah, why would you tell her? Kind of a rookie mistake, but also, let's not tell people how to kidnap children. So, Uh, who are we to judge? (laughs) (laughs) I'm judging. I'm judging. So as soon as he left the premises, Jamie freed herself and crawled out from under the bed. She then threw on a pair of her abductor's shoes because I'm pretty sure she was kidnapped barefoot because she was sound asleep. Yeah. 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 Um, And then she ran out of the house and ran down like a few doors down in the neighborhood and approached the first person she saw, which was this lady walking her dog. I'm assuming she ran three doors down and found I her Superman. going to make that <laughs> joke. Oh, my God. That took me a second because it was so bad. Okay. If I go <laughs> crazy, then will you still call me Superman? No, I'll <laughs> never call you Superman. Okay, so. <clears throat> Fine. It has, How about daddy? Ugh. It has also come out that on the day that Jamie escaped, Patterson was busy applying online for jobs. Including at the Saratoga Saratoga Liquor Company warehouse in Superior, Wisconsin. Oh, good. In his application, he called himself an honest guy. (laughs) Well, he was honest about being gone for five or six hours. And he was honestly a fucking pervert, kidnapper, murderer. Um, right. I mean, this is like my number one rule on Tinder. If a dude's profile is like honest and loyal, boop, boop, boop. if you have to say it, you're probably yeah. not swiping left. Trust Bye. me. Believe me. No. No. Fuck you. No. Uh-uh. 
So uh, he said he was honest, although his resume contained lies about his past. He claimed to have served in the Marines, God bless the vitamins, for nine months, but actually he was discharged after just five weeks. Douche. I don't think... That doesn't sound honest and loyal. Yeah, that doesn't sound like you were actually in the Marines if you did five weeks. Um, Right. So after police got the phone call that Jamie had escaped and was found, and so, like, the the dog walker lady, like, brought her into her house and called police, obviously. Um, they immediately went to go get Jamie from the neighbor's home, and um, on their way, they spotted a red vehicle with license plates that they tracked, and they were registered to a woman with the last name Patterson, so some female relative of Jake's. And another deputy stopped the driver, and as Jake Patterson exited his vehicle, he blurted out, I did it. (laughs) Another rookie mistake. Who is this guy? I'd rather have an idiot criminal that just gives it all up. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm just saying he's really fucking bad at this. That's all. Yeah. So police believe that when he was out driving at when they found him that he was actually looking for Jamie to bring her back. Oh, yeah, that's right. I heard about that. Yeah, which is so terrifying. And yeah, that's so creepy. Well, and I also heard, and maybe you cover this, but that like when Jamie approached this neighbor, the neighbor was really smart where she was like, they didn't want to go back to their house like the closest house to where to, uh, in the event that Jake would come to the neighbor's house and like look for her. Mm. So I think she and her husband like got a shotgun and went to a couple other neighbors house. Oh, I didn't know that. So that it wouldn't be like the first place that would be potentially looked at by this Jake guy oh. and then called the police from there while her husband was literally standing behind the door with a shotgun, like making sure that this fucking guy doesn't, I mean, that makes sense. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not that. And again, it's Wisconsin, so these people are like, I fucking know what to do with the shotgun. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I understand that adrenaline and that fear, and like needing to just create a barrier around this poor girl, and like, yeah. Ugh. I'm fucking here for that. Yeah. So Jamie is now recovering from the trauma that she was subjected to and is slowly returning to her former life as much as possible, although, you know, her parents were murdered. Um, She is staying with her aunt Jennifer Smith, who is her mother's sister uh, and who also lives in Barron. Okay, so she gets to go to her same school and not upheave her entire life more than it already has been the poor thing yeah so the plan is that she will eventually return to her former school but there's not a specific timeline for when that's gonna happen uh, obviously um her bravery and escape are particularly remarkable given the fact that and this is according to the national center for missing and exploited children most children who go missing, if they've been kidnapped by a predator, which is a small percentage because most children are kidnapped by, honestly, like a parent um, who, mm-hmm. like, doesn't have custody kind of thing. 
But if they've been kidnapped by a predator, most of them don't come back at all if they aren't found within the first 24 hours. Right, right. And she was gone 80 days. 88. 88 days. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Lucy, are you there? Yes, I'm listening. Oh, okay. Politely. Okay. The fifty thousand so unlike you. <laughs> the fifty thousand dollar reward was allegedly offered to the dog walking lady, but she turned it down, saying that Jamie freed herself and that she should be awarded the money. Which, Aww. like, God bless her, and it's true. That's amazing. It's so true. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, like give that money to this poor girl who's been through so much, and it can go towards yeah. college and college like, or something. Yeah, she Get her lost the her parents. Like she yeah. witnessed yeah. her parents getting murdered with a fucking shotgun. That's messy. I'm guessing that she was still in her bedroom. But she probably... Yeah, she was in the same house. I don't know if she witnessed it, but she probably heard shit I, and then... Hit. I read that she was in the bathroom with her mother when her mother was shot and she was dragged over her mother's body to leave the house. That's holy, what I read. Holy shit. I did not read I that. did not read that either. But who... I don't know. I mean, this... The thing with these Gossip at the Corpse Cart episodes is that we're doing more recent cases and so information is going to be like sketchy and patchy and we're we're doing our best and like two months from now there's going to be a whole hell of a lot more information but we're trying to do well, cases that are like and in keep the in news. mind that she's she's a minor too so there are details that are just simply not going to be disclosed unless she chooses to disclose them after you know later in her life right like people ask if she's been sexually assaulted or whatever these are things that we're not going to know because the police are not going to fucking release that information about a minor right Exactly. Yeah, I don't have any information about that. So, uh, Patterson is charged with kidnapping, armed burglary, and two counts of first-degree intentional homicide in the deaths of Jamie's parents. If convicted, which I fucking hope he's convicted, uh, he faces a mandatory sentence of life in prison. Good. He is currently being held at the Polk County Jail. Bail is set at $5 million. He has not posted bail. Um, Patterson's own family has expressed dismay and horror at their relatives' crimes. His father reportedly wrote a note expressing sorrow and sympathy to the Kloss family and, and I think was able to somehow deliver it through intermediaries. Patterson's grandfather is quoted as saying, quote, something went terribly wrong. Nobody had any clues. We are absolutely heartbroken. It is wrenching to deal with. He was shy and quiet. He backed off from crowds, but a nice boy, polite. Computer games were more of a priority than social interaction. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Elizabeth Smart, a fellow child kidnapping survivor and advocate, um, has spoken publicly about the Kloss case, stating, What a brave, strong, and powerful survivor. No matter what may unfold in her story, let's all try to remember that this young woman has survived, and whatever other details may surface, the most important thing will remain that she is still alive. Yep. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. So um, just one other thing to mention is that obviously this case got a lot 
of attention, and it should have. I mean, this poor girl and what she went through and her parents were murdered and everything. But there are a lot of other missing young teenage children and girls of color specifically that have not gotten this kind of public media attention that they their cases absolutely deserve and so I just wanted to put that out there that like if you care about this case you should care about all these other cases as well Mm -hmm. yeah when you mentioned the FBI's most wanted or top missing people list Mm -hmm. I was wondering how a person gets on that list because there are so many missing people of color women of color trans women of color and native women yeah that like you don't fucking see any of that on the news I doubt no I doubt there are many of those faces on that FBI list yeah I I don't know how that list is determined Um, And I think part of it is pretty subjective or depends on news coverage, to be honest. Right. Um, And how much people in the community are pushing for answers, basically, putting pressure on police, too. Because, you know, we and we kind of talked about this in our episode about uh, Native American reservation crimes. Right. And we did talk about how, especially with Native women who, yeah, statistically, like these women are like raped statistically the most Mm -hmm. experienced some of the most violence uh, from their spouses and in their communities, unfortunately, but a lot of this stuff gets unreported and then things that do get reported go from, you know, like self-policing on a reservation or reservation police. And then it has to go to state police Mm -hmm. and they don't give as much of a shit Mm -hmm. about those kinds of reports. And they're not taking it up the ladder where it needs to go. And it's just like all these bureaucratic systems are in place for a reason, but it can fuck up a lot of shit. Yeah. And imagine how fucking frustrating. And imagine how exhausted those communities are. If if, if the burden is on them. Help. To, yeah. to promote it and get attention, like, right. fuck. And you reach out for help and continuously don't get it. Right. Like, you know, how hard do women and people who identify as women of color mm-hmm. have to fight to get their story mm-hmm. to matter as much as a young white girl story, mm-hmm. and they've been fighting for it forever, and people don't get those results, and then you just kind of, I wouldn't blame you for being like, well, fuck it. Right. There's got <laughs> to be a better up. way. Like, I would want to give up. And not just women of color, but children of color Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah so just keep that in mind obviously like this poor girl jamie has been through so much and i'm glad that her case got the attention it got and i'm glad that she escaped and and was found and identified obviously but like these other children deserve that too all right so another hat case um that's actually been going on since August of 2004, but has recently reemerged in the press is Sintoya Brown. Oh, yes. Yes. I'm glad you chose this. Yeah. And, you know, I know we kind of, you can never really beat this horse to death, but just very similar to what Kenyon was saying about Jamie's story is that Sintoya Brown is a young black woman, now woman. She was only a kid when this happened to her. Um, but we really didn't hear much about this story until like celebrities started to fucking take notice and Mm -hmm. start a viral hashtag about her situation. 
and I feel like this is probably not the first time mm-hmm. a person of color has been portrayed in a under different circumstances than our reality, and then that was used to maybe put her in a worse situation than yep was necessary. Probably not. Yeah, racism is real, y'all. It's fucked up. It's systemic, and it's and the it's worst. insidious. So, yeah, it really is. And it can and stop with you. Mm-hmm. It can. It can. Only you can prevent forest fires and, and systemic racism. racism. <laughs> um, I'm not gonna get too detailed on what on the case itself because I have an interesting timeline that I want to go over of kind of everything, and I just think that like the legality of this case is one of the things that makes it so interesting. So I just want to be able to cover as much as possible without like dragging it on too long. Okay. Um, so in August of 2004, a Nashville, Oh God, I just dropped a bunch of shit. So in August of 2004, a Nashville real estate agent named Johnny Allen, uh, was found naked in his home with a gunshot wound to the back of his head. Um, he lived in Mossdale on Mossdale drive in Nashville. Um, Centoya Brown was then 16 years old. She told police that he had picked her up at a Sonic drive-in. Um, Brown said she was a teen sex worker and confessed that she had shot Allen, who at the time was 43 years old, and I guess is only ever going to be 43 years old because he is now dead, mm. um, because she thought he was reaching for a gun under his bed, and they had been kind of in a bizarre situation like kind of arguing and he was being threatening and she thought he was reaching for a gun so she shot him with a gun that she had on her as a sex worker okay um she never denied shooting him um she argued that the act was committed in self-defense making the act manslaughter rather than homicide okay she also stated that alan had intimidated her by repeatedly standing over her while she lay in his bed Um, As further motivation for the act of self-defense, she stated that she believed Alan was reaching for a firearm as they were laying in bed, um, thus prompting her to shoot him with her own firearm, which she had gotten from her boyfriend for her own protection. So she's arrested. And they're investigating, like, what the fuck happened here. Mm -hmm. Now skip ahead to August um, of 2006. It's two years later. They've been compiling evidence. And they've been putting this case together. It goes to trial. And a jury convicts Brown of first-degree murder, not manslaughter, mm. and um, aggravated robbery. So robbery with a firearm. So they claim it was first-degree premeditated. They Yep, they convicted mm-hmm. her of first-degree murder and robbery. Um, and I'm not defending the prosecution, but she... or by any means. And I think that there are a lot of weird little details to this case, but there were some, there were some forensics about how the body was in the bed, his body in the bed. Um, nothing that really was like too shocking in terms of, uh, like project. What is it like forensic projection of the bullet or whatever? Mm -hmm. Ballistics. Ballistics. That's, that's, (laughs) um, and then she did take his wallet and I think another gun from his home before she, ran off okay so they were like well this is armed robbery you know you basically like tried to get a free meal from fucking sonic and then go home kill him take his stuff and then take off well was basically the how the prosecution was but he was raping a child so exactly yeah and there's more to it than that but so 
She is convicted by the jury of first-degree murder and robbery. Again, at this point, she's 17 years old. She's under 18. When she committed the crime, she was 16. She was still being tried as an adult. I don't get that. Do you get that? I don't get it either. It should just be a hard line. If it's a hard line for statutory rape and joining the military and and voting and Mm -hmm. buying a firearm and buying alcohol, it Mm -hmm. just needs to be a hard age Line. line for... And there are additional circumstances that should have kept her from being tried as an adult because she was also diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome mm. and had other cognitive issues or has. So obviously, anyway, she's under 18. She, she is not an adult, but she also had cognitive hurdles that kept her from, you know, getting cognitively to the same level as someone who is 17 or 18 in, like, average mm-hmm. society. Mm-hmm. Did she just have, um, not just, but did she, was she represented by, like, a public defender? That's a good question. I am not sure. I'm guessing, Because there yes. are a lot of wonderful public defenders, and there are a Absolutely. lot that don't give a fuck about their clients. I think I think job. they're so like overburdened kind of that yeah. it can be difficult yeah. yeah to give each case the the attention that it deserves. It's it's very possible that for this trial she was represented by a public defender but after this started getting so much attention like very high level attorneys took on this case. Um so she's sentenced in October of 2006 to life with the possibility of parole at 51 years. Jesus. Jesus yeah. fucking so Christ. So state officials said the law dictated that she serve at least 51 years before being eligible for parole. Prosecutors pushed for more time because of aggregate, aggravated robbery, so robbery with a firearm um, or a weapon, and other factors in the crime. Uh, she had taken his wallet and a few personal items. And this is Prose- still just for manslaughter? No, she was... She was charged she was, with her defense, murder. Yeah, her defense was trying to get her for get her charged for manslaughter because she was claiming gotcha. self-defense. Gotcha, okay, gotcha. But she was charged with first-degree murder, that which is, is premeditated. It's like the worst one. God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and has the highest penalties under the law, as it should, mm-hmm. but this is why like the charges are so important mm-hmm. um, and to pay attention to the nuances of every situation, basically. Um, prosecutors are saying she committed a cold-blooded murder, then robbed Allen before she fled with his car. Advocates for Brown say that she was a victim of child sex trafficking who feared for her life, and that her age and fetal alcohol syndrome made it impossible for her to consider the full ramifications of her actions. Mm-hmm. Um, she did have a pimp who was selling her. He died while she was in jail, I believe. Mm-hmm. He's no longer alive. I read that. Mm-hmm. Um, in a different article, but like she was absolutely being exploited. She is a 16 year old girl with like some cognitive setbacks Mm -hmm. with a pimp controlling her. She's, you know, she's basically homeless, Mm -hmm. like living on the street. This is not a a normal situation. And technically like the way that the laws are laid out in the United States, at least and in, and in most countries, but we're dealing with the U.S. here, like, there is no discernible difference between a, quote, pimp and a trafficker. Like, it's the same thing under this Mm -hmm. legal system. Right, right. Um, So, again, this case had kind of just 
flown under the radar, people were not really paying that much attention to it because who fucking cares in our society about like a young black prostitute? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which is fucked up, but that's just kind of the reality of this situation. And then in March of 2011, PBS did a documentary called Me Facing Life, Centoya's Story. It aired nationally, and it was sort of like the explosion of making a murderer. Like, people were outraged at how fucked up this whole thing was playing out. I totally missed this. I know. I didn't see it either, but Mm -hmm. I had seen a ton of articles around this time coming out on Facebook, all across social media. And so now it just reading this timeline, it makes more sense to me that that was following the release of this PBS documentary and how incredibly popular it became. And then it was just starting to circulate more and more and more in the media. And, uh, Centoya's story, like her side of everything was starting to get, Mm. you know, was starting to get told. Mm. So now we're in June of 2012 And the U.S. Supreme Court rules in, I think, a completely different set of circumstances, just on its own, that mandatory life without parole sentences for juveniles violates the Eighth Amendment uh, prohibitions against cruel and unusual punishment. Mm -hmm. So the Supreme Court changes, like, rules that sentencing juveniles to life sentences without parole is unconstitutional. Like, it's, or, yeah. Mm -hmm. So... This sparks this, like, whole, oh, shit, maybe we can get, you know, Centoya a new trial or released under this rule. Mm -hmm. However, attorneys representing the state argued the 2012 ruling from the U.S. Supreme Court does not apply to her case because she was not serving a, quote, true life sentence because she was eligible for parole after 51 years behind bars. Okay. Yeah. Oh, it's essentially right. a life sentence. Yeah. Exactly. When you're 16, when your mm-hmm. sentence is multiple times the amount of years you've already lived. Yep. Yikes. But Tennessee's sentencing laws are were like super conflicted at the time. So three judge pan, a three judge panel in Cincinnati suggested at multiple points that if she was serving a 51 year sentence, the U.S. Supreme Court ruling might not apply. But there. Centoya Brown's attorneys pushback, citing that another section of the law, in at least in Tennessee, states that, quote, there shall be no release eligibility for offenders convicted of first-degree murder. So she was convicted of first-degree murder. It's the law in Tennessee that you can't get parole, but then they were also giving her parole After 50- at 51 years. Weird. So it's like she had both sentences so the supreme court rule should apply you know what i mean yeah mm-hmm. weird okay just under the blanket statement of tennessee law that says if you're charged if you're if you're convicted of first degree murder mm-hmm. like that's it you go away for life so their laws are all fucked up and stupid and the supreme court has to like or the court system has to sort through all of this shit and be like well fuck now what do we do also 51 is like practically the life expectancy in some communities Oh, in yeah. the U.S. That is not a small amount of time. Yeah. That is, no. Well, and she was yeah. 16, 17, you know, when she was in at trial. So she's probably, like, about to be 18 by the time she actually starts her sentence. Right. And then you get 50, you know, it's she's not going to be young when she gets out of prison under those circumstances. Right. So November of 2012, uh, defense attorneys are pushing for a new trial and also introduce new evidence because in the original trial... Um, her fetal alcohol syndrome diagnosis had not been included. Mm-hmm. Mm. And it's obviously there for her to just have an understanding of what's happening and even be fit to stand trial. That should all be taken into account. Right. 
Um, so they're pushing for a new trial. Obviously, anyone who's watched Making a Murderer or any of those true crime documentaries knows how long that shit fucking takes. So they're starting to ask for a new trial in November of 2012. It's years go by. Now it's November of 2017 when like celebrities are starting to jump on this bandwagon about sharing her case and getting her a new trial or releasing her entirely. So in November of 2017, Rihanna makes um, an Instagram post mm. that I actually put on the drive and she kind of started that free Santoya Brown hashtag. Wow. And it like exploded. It went super viral. Um, you can see, I think this screenshot of the Instagram post was taken within like the first 24 hours of it being posted. And it has almost 2 million likes on it within that day. Dang. Can you imagine obviously, having re- that kind of like reach? That much reach. Jesus. Yeah. And obviously Rihanna has a ton of fucking reach, but like, it's good that sometimes the most unlikely maybe advocates come out of the woodwork and, mm-hmm. and get shine a little spotlight on some of this shit because I feel like so much is happening here and this brings so many changes to and questions of the law, even from the level of Supreme Court down, mm-hmm. that like we should be aware that these things are happening and people just, it's not in the media. So people just don't know. Let's also just Centurias. remember that like the sex buyer was 43 years old and she was 16 and being exploited Mm -hmm. by a pimp. Look at her face in this Rihanna photo too. She looks, she could be 10 years old. Yeah. She She looks looks like a child. So young. Yeah. 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 And that's years after she's already been in prison. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, this story just sort of starts to escalate and there's like a lot of pressure being put on the court system and they're chugging along and chugging along. And now it's May of 2018 and the state board of parole gives governor Bill Haslam a split recommendation on Brown's application for clemency. So essentially what that means is that there are like six people who sit on this parole parole board. And when it's split, it means that they can't, it's like a tie. They can't come to any kind of majority decision. So two members vote to recommend that the governor grant clemency, allowing for her release from prison. Two others vote to recommend that he deny her clemency bid, meaning that she would continue to serve the sentence that she had been given, her life sentence with parole at 51. Two others then recommended that the governor reduce her sentence so she could be released after 25 years. Mm-hmm. So with all of this sort of at a standstill, they have to go to the next level of courts to get a decision because it couldn't be decided on by the parole board. Mm-hmm. So they go to the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals in June of 2018 and they hear the arguments on whether her life sentence is constitutional. So again, watch the second season of Making a Murderer and you'll get a better understanding of like how these fucking lawyers have to go through all these hoops to get even be seen by these courts. Or listen to serials. I mean, Adnan yeah. has been in prison for God knows how long. Yep. It's just such a long fucking process. And the um, third season of Serial mm-hmm. also shows how fucked up all this is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a lot. During the hearing, her lawyers state that uh, the sentencing laws conflicted, again, making it unclear Brown would be required to serve 51 years or life without parole because of what we were talking about with the first degree murder right. law rules. Um, the panel of judges agrees that Tennessee's sentencing laws were confusing and contradictory and fucked up. So that was a win. That was a good thing. 
um, this report is sent to, to the governor of Tennessee um, with has thousands, it's thousands of pages long, like all of this evidence, all of the, everything that's been provided to the court to get her a new trial, to turn over this sentence, to like prove that the Tennessee laws are fucking contradictory and fucked up. Mm. Um, and so they take on all of these documents and the governor's legal team starts to review the entire case. So that's in July. Um, in August of 2018, the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals asks the Tennessee Supreme Court to clarify the state's seemingly contradictory sentencing laws. Brown's attorney went to the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals in Cincinnati, arguing her life sentence was unconstitutional. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled in 2012 that giving juveniles life sentences without parole was cruel and unusual in most cases. So again, they're still trying to appeal to the Supreme Court now that Tennessee has has agreed to adjust that law because it was so confusing the way that it was laid out. So this was like a big move for them too because I think without Tennessee agreeing to A, accept that those that, that portion of the law was contradictory and B, revise it, we never would have gotten to where we are now mm-hmm. with her case. So in December of 2018, the Tennessee Supreme Court issues a unanimous decision that says defendants convicted of first-degree murder on or after July 1st of 1995 and sentenced to life in prison become eligible for release after serving a minimum of 51 years in prison. Jesus! So that, yes, so they change the contradictory law anyone who has been convicted of first degree murder could now potentially apply for parole it does not mean that they're going to get it after 51 years after 51 years oh my god no you know definitely just a coincidence that it's 51 years i know isn't that what the fuck i know it's it's so fucking confusing Uh um and this informed the deliberations at the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, and then the governor said his team was, st- at this point in December of 2018, was still considering her clemency petition, and that he expects to announce the decision before leaving office in January, mm-hmm. and then as we know, just this month, like days ago, really, he granted Centoya Brown's request for clemency and made her eligible for release later this year with a an expected release date of August 7th. <laughs> so assuming, I mean... That said, again, I know I keep bringing this up, but this just reminds me so much of Brendan Dassey mm. in in the second season of Making a Murderer. You know, his legal team goes through all of this to either get him a new trial or get him released, and they even give him a release date, and then the state comes in with something with some new trick up their sleeve, mm-hmm. and he's still in prison. It's so fucked up. Uh, yeah, so I want to keep up with this and I want to think that this August 7th release date is real and that she is going to be released like, because she has been granted clemency. Time will tell. But time only time will tell. I mean, the state could come in and fucking try... I mean, that's... It seems like August is not very far away now that we're entering into February, but, like, that's a lot of time for the state to drum up some bullshit and keep her in prison. Yep. I'm not trying to be like a Debbie Downer, but that is just the reality of possibilities here. Mm-hmm. So I guess just keep your eye on Rihanna's newsfeed. <laughs> she is bringing us all the most up-to-date Riri's information news. on Satoya Brown. Yes. She is plugged in. Yes, I would fucking subscribe to yes. that. But also, just a reminder, someone buying sex was 43 
And the person yeah. that they were buying sex from was underage and not legally able yeah. to consent and 16 and being exploited by a pimp older than them. Yeah. And somehow the exchange of money, any amount of money, just, like, erases the statutory rape issue. Mm-hmm. I don't fucking get it. Yeah. But that don't is like it. that is sex trafficking for you in mm-hmm. the United States. There you go. So, yeah. All right. Well. And this is not the only case in existence where, especially a woman has been put away for, like, killing her abuser. Yep. It won't be the last one. It's not the first one. It's all fucking bullshit. Yep. All right. Well, Lucy, do you have something that can pick up our spirits and our mood? To Please. Sure fucking out? hope so. Because <laughs> you guys are bummers. <laughs> Sorry. She's, Lucy's like, news right I now. fucking did the doorbell liquor, and y'all brought this shit down. Yeah, kind of thought this was supposed to be a little bit lighter. (laughs) It's current events. Okay. And now time for some levity. Mm. Yes. This segment is going to be called Lucy's Coroner Corner. (laughs) I love it. Welcome to my corner. Welcome. Welcome. (laughs) Welcome, welcome. I don't like it over here. This segment is where I will share some piece of news related to death, things that some might consider morbid and which I would consider among my favorite topics, Mm -hmm. and also some things that I actually think can be quite beautiful. Death doesn't have to be scary and bad all the time. True, true. Give it a little levity. It's going to happen to everyone. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So content from this segment might be a good obituary from the week. It might be a death in the news, something new that I've learned about decomposition, because you know I love that. Yeah. Some embalming tips, tricks, (laughs) (laughs) updates on my dream of visiting a body farm, you name it. Mm -hmm. And I will also welcome any suggestions from listeners, since I know a lot of you people listening are also sick fucks like me. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so this week I have a few things for you. First, in addition to my vision board, <clears throat> there exists an organization in this world called the Society of Professional Obituary Writers. Oh, or Spow for short. <laughs> Spow. You Could need be Spo. to apply to be part of that. It's society. kind of it like Spew from Harry Potter. Yeah. <laughs> Um, So their website describes it as, quote, an organization created for folks who write about the dead for a living, which I thought was so nice. (laughs) Oh, my God. They're so clever. I love them. Oh, you got to visit their website. It is fucking phenomenal. Um, So every other year they host ObitCon. (gasps) What? Cha. At the Legacy.com headquarters near Chicago. And if you're not familiar with Legacy.com, it's essentially like a Facebook for obituaries. Oh, my God. I'm writing this down, and we are attending. Mm Mm-hmm. So they had one in 2017, so their next one is probably this fall. Yes. If anyone out there is listening who has connects to ObitCon, fucking hit me up. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, they also have an awards ceremony called the <laughs> 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 
called the Grimmy Awards. <laughs> like, what the fuck? What? Like the Grammys. The Grimmies. <laughs> oh, like it's because it's grim? Yeah. <laughs> I assume so. Oh, my God. Um, so th- these awards honor the best obituaries written that year. And by the way, a person who writes, o- writes obituaries is called an obituarist. I love it. Okay. Also, we need to brainstorm what the EGOT would be if the G is the Grimmies. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So, okay. so put a pin in that. We'll circle back. Well, E for embalmists, oh obviously. Oh, my God. Yes. Love <laughs> it. Okay. We'll, we'll work on that. Okay. Um, so here are the categories. And the categories are... <laughs> <laughs> Best short form obit, which is less than 800 words. Ooh. Best long form obit, which of course is more than 800 words. Mm-hmm. Best obit of an ordinary Joe or Jane. Mm. The obituarist of the year. Mm. And Ooh. my favorite, <laughs> the Alana Baranek Award for Lifetime <laughs> Achievement in Obituary Writing. <laughs> Oh my god. Lifetime achievement. <laughs> this is amazing. Oh my god, I get it. I love it so Lucy, much. Lucy, Lucy, if we ever become like really big, because we're still like we're like a medium to small sized podcast, but if we ever become really big and can afford it, we are going to add an award for the Grimmies in Lucy's name. Done. Yeah, no, it has to happen. Yeah, okay. it has to happen. Donate to our Patreon, y'all, because we have goals. Make Lucy's dreams come true. <laughs> yes, Body Farm Spow Awards, grimmest recipient. Oh my god! The trophies is is worth noting are shaped like headstones. I fucking <laughs> they, oh like, my god! Inscribe the name and like the award that you won and like the date. It looks like a fucking tombstone. I fucking love it. This is I amazing. love these people. This is amazing. Okay, so that's my first little bit for my coroner, coroner corner. Mm-hmm. Um, here's my second bit. This is an interview. I read an interview between NPR's Ari Shapiro, who, by the way, is a beautiful man. Mm, let me look I at him. I googled him. Okay. I listened to he him a looks, lot. He looks a little bit like a Skull and Bones secret fraternity villain, but, like, in a really hot way. Okay. Like, gaunt. Like, he could be a vampire, okay. but, like, with a really <gasps> sexy voice. I did not know that Hi. he was cute. Yeah. Hi. Oh, my God. He does look like a vampire. He does. Like, yeah. Like, the cheekbones are pronounced. I I like it. I love a pronounced bone. So I will stop objectifying Ari Shapiro if I can help it. (laughs) I won't. Um. So an interview between Ari Smokescreen Shapiro and obituarist (laughs) slash Grimmy Award winner slash former president of SPOW, Maureen O'Donnell. Oh, my God. I thought you were going to say Maureen Dowd. No. (laughs) (laughs) She ate too many weed brownies and she had to cancel her interview. (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay. So Shapiro says... Many of us at some point in our life will be called on to write a remembrance of a loved one, perhaps a parent or a grandparent. What advice do you have for someone faced with that task? So these are Maureen O'Donnell's, like, tips for writing a good obit. Okay. Yes. 
Um, okay, so she says, Ari, I always remember the five W's, what we learned in journalism school, which are who, what, when, where, and why. You want to talk about their early years, and I often will ask people I'm interviewing about the deceased person. When you picture them in your mind, what are they doing? What pops into your head first? And sometimes they'll say, oh, he's working under the car, or, you know, she's riding her bike on one of her ultra marathons, or she's making her famous gumbo. And I'll ask about what are little sayings that stick with you that used to come out of their mouth, or what was the first thing I'd notice about them if I met them? Mm -hmm. So I try to come up with, like, the Madeleine of Marcel Proust that is going to open (laughs) up the trove of memories. She loves craft parmesan cheese and she frequently screamed <laughs> fucking patriarchy you yep. two are gonna get the if i'm the last to die which of the you will us, be yes <laughs> absolutely i i do yeah, use a my lot of vaseline definitely on me going first then kenyan then yeah. lucy that's the order. absolutely i am honored to write your obituaries thank you yeah, i'm the last in and the first out <laughs> <laughs> this friend group. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. And I'll be eaten by my rabbit in my garden-level one-bedroom apartment. No one will know I've been dead for, like, weeks. I'll just send, like, increasingly bitchy texts on the WhatsApp chain being like, where the fuck are you? If you go oh, you a week dead. without posting a selfie, something's wrong. Not a selfie, but just on social media in some mm-hmm. way. Well, not a selfie because you get others to take portrait mode photos of you more often exactly, than not. So <laughs> exactly. Um, speaking of first, last one in, first one out. <laughs> um, my final bit of news for my coroner corner. Poet Mary Oliver passed oh. away last week at the age of eighty-three. Oh, honey. She was the recipient of a Pulitzer Prize in 1984 for her collection, American Primitive, and her poems are so simple. They are so powerful. They're gorgeous. They really resonate with people because they're largely about nature and how humans connect to nature, or at least how she connects to nature. Mm-hmm. I I love her. I think she's a fucking queen. Her Her poetry is gorgeous. If you aren't familiar, look her up. It's, like, all available online. Mm -hmm. So rest in peace, Mary Oliver. You did some fucking work during your life, and we are all grateful for it. Mm -hmm. And I would like to read an excerpt from her poem, When Death Comes. Mm -hmm. When it's over, I want to say, all my life, I was a bride married to amazement. I was the bridegroom taking the world into my arms. When it's over, I don't want to wonder if I've made... If I have made of my life something particular and real, I don't want to find myself sighing and frightened or full of argument. I don't want to end up simply having visited this world. God bless. I like that. So hopefully she doesn't feel like she has merely visited this world. No, she's made an impact and I will definitely be at the end full of argument, but it's fine. But it's, you die how you live, you know? <laughs> you do. You do. <laughs> All right. Well, I love it. That is our fucking first inaugural monthly Gossip at the Corpse Cot. Gossip at the Corpse Cot. And I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, tune in uh, for the next, next episode. Month. 
Yeah. Yeah. And if there's a super recent case you want us to dive into, I can't guarantee we're going to do it, but feel free to send us your suggestions because yeah. we're always on the lookout for cool yeah, shit. Yeah. Tag mm-hmm. us. Let us know. Uh, you really help us out. All right. Thank you. Get me into those grimmest, grimmy awards. Yeah, if you find a fucking amazing obit for Lucy's coroner corner, send it along. Fuck yes. All right, love you. Bye. All right, bye-bye.